Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. As usual, glad to have you with us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, If you were listening to our show yesterday, you know that we said today we would be featuring a program uh, with uh, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger talking about the challenges that he faces in trying to uh, run a uh, primary election on June 9th. Uh, That show also features uh, former Secretary of State Kathy Cox, Chatham County uh, Chairman Al Scott, Um, But when Governor Kemp announced what many people expected was going to happen, that he was lifting the shelter-in-place order, uh, we felt that was a hugely consequential decision. And because that conversation with the Secretary of State and others is already recorded, we're going to push that show to Monday. You will hear it on Monday morning um, and afternoon. Uh, So instead today, we've uh, at the last minute asked our panel to come together, and they very graciously agreed to do that, to talk about the consequences of the governor's decision. And before I introduce the panel, before we begin the conversation with Cody Hall, the governor's press secretary who agreed to join us, uh, let me just uh, recap what's happened. Uh, uh, governor Kemp told uh, Greg Bluestein of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that the time has come to focus on economic recovery. He said that with increased testing and ample hospital beds, Georgia is ready to handle a surge in coronavirus cases should it occur. Uh, The quote is, what we've done has worked. It's given us time to build our hospital infrastructure capacity, get ventilators and ramp up testing. That's what really drove our decision. We'll get into that in more depth. But now I want to share with you uh, some research that 538 has been doing. 538 put together a panel of uh, uh, statisticians, uh, medical statisticians uh, from across the country who have been analyzing data in their own models. And here's what they said in a report that they just issued about Georgia. On April 20th, Georgia stood at about 700 new cases per day, April 20th. It was on April 23rd, of course, that the governor partially opened the state for uh, uh, business Uh, That's when we did, uh, you know, the bowling alleys, uh, the tattoo parlors, uh, the massage therapists, and the like. Um, And and so then they calculated from April 23rd moving forward. And here's what they've come up with. They suggest that by May 16th, we're likely to have an average of 1,044 new confirmed cases per day And that is before the governor issued his lifting of the shelter-in-place order. Um, And some of those experts think that it could be as high as 2,200 or 2,300 cases per day based on the partial uh, lifting of the order. They also said that that they they, they could have seen a reduction had Georgia not relaxed the order the first time around to— indicate there'd be only something like 487 new cases per day by the week of May 16th. Okay, so those are projections. Those are models. They are uh, certainly subject to change and may not, in fact, take place. But I think it's an important place for us to start the conversation. All that said, we are joined today, as we are every Monday and Friday, by Jim Galloway. He's the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He has a brand-new column that's uh, online, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, we're also joined today by Greg Bluestein, his uh, colleague at the AJC, who's been doing a lot of the uh, uh, investigating of COVID-19 from a political point of view, uh, reporting on what the governor and others are doing. We have Patricia Murphy back with us for the first time in a while, and we're so glad she is here. Uh, Patricia is a syndicated columnist. She has a brand new piece in the in USA Today. We'll talk about that in a little while. And she's been reporting for GPB on lawmakers, which may get started anytime uh, at some point soon. I forgot to ask each of you to say a couple. Of, Jim, how are you holding up? Oh, we're doing great over here, uh, up here in Kennesaw. It's it's a, it's a beautiful morning. Yep. I'm looking out, out out there. It's it's uh, 
It's just very, very quiet. Probably too quiet. You, you continuing to make those early morning senior citizen runs to Costco uh, every now and then? Uh, try to keep them down to at least to, to one, a, one, one a week or so, you know? Trying to, <laughs> trying to lower the yeah. profile. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Patricia, you've been at home with your two children for, what, seven, eight weeks now? Are you, uh, are you still doing okay? It's actually been 32 years that I've been home. <laughs> I'm doing homeschooling. Yes, we're doing great. I'm so grateful for this beautiful weather. And our neighborhood has just turned into it. Everybody think it kind of reminds them of that 70s show. It's just kids riding around on their bikes and nobody has any after-school activities. You know, it's very old-fashioned and really um, a wonderful silver lining to the whole situation. It's really lovely. Yes. Oh, that's Oh, that's terrific. And Greg, uh, your schedule, I mean, I know you're at home with your two daughters, but I know you're also getting out and reporting, and whether you're doing it from your uh, office at home or out on the road somewhere, you haven't slowed down for a second. Yeah, it's funny because it's like we are, we're working harder than ever, and I'm also around my kids more than ever, for better or for worse, but I'm just like Patricia, we've, we've gotten to know our, we already were tight with our neighbors, but we got to know them even better. And the kids have both mastered bike riding. You know, a month ago, they, they barely know how to ride a bike. And now, yesterday, we, we biked to, to dinner and ice cream three or four miles away. So they're, they're all in now. Well, all right, let's do this. Uh, let's bring in Cody Hall. And, uh, Greg, because you uh, interviewed the governor yesterday, as we bring you, Cody in, but by the way, Cody, welcome to Political Rewind. Uh, you're down at your office at the state capitol, right? Yes, sir. And that's it. That's about, I think those are the kind of answers we're going to get from Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Bluestein, uh, you, you did talk to the governor yesterday, and I think I accurately uh, reported back what he told you. It, it sounds, Greg, like the governor was essentially saying, and, and you're certainly welcome to start questioning of Cody about this, it sounds like the governor is essentially saying, wow, thank goodness we got through this. Yeah, there are some problems here or there, uh, senior citizen homes, assisted living facilities, people who are medically fragile or older. Yeah, they may have two things to worry about. But thank goodness, after three and a half, almost four weeks of sheltering in place, we can start doing business again. Is that a fair assessment of how he talked about this? I mean, look, he, he had been talking for, for a while, hinting that this decision was coming, talking about the economic toll that this pandemic has taken on Georgians. More than one in five Georgians are on state unemployment benefit claims right now. Um, but one of the things he did, he did make sure he pointed out was that something like 43 or 44 percent of the deaths uh, are, are linked to nursing homes in Georgia. And it's one of the reasons why when he lifted these general orders, he, he still extended them for nursing homes for those elderly and the medically fragile, um, it's, a, it's a different sort of approach, right? It, it's, it's rather than keeping everyone locked down, keeping everyone at home, um, it's keeping the people who are most at risk, um, either in their nursing homes or long-term care facilities or, um, you know, or, or at home. Uh, at the same time, they're, they're you know, trying to navigate this balance with still urging people, if they can, to stay home, to stay, to stay out of public places, and if they go to public places, wear masks, um, but, you know, we can already tell this morning we're already getting reports that traffic is going up. Um, you know, malls and businesses are going to start to reopen over the next few days and weeks. Um, so we're going to start to see a sort of a, a, a halting return to normal life. Uh, Cody, I find that a little confusing, and um, I'm glad you're here to help clarify this. Shelter in place is lifted, but Georgians who can should continue to shelter in place. I, that sounds like a mixed message to me. Please help me understand what I'm missing. Sure. So I'll start by saying I think what I, I started by saying um, the last time I was on the show, Bill, that these actions are new for everyone. Um, they're new for the public to be able to consume. They're new for government officials to, to have to make. So essentially what we did was lift the mandatory shelter in place for all Georgians um, except for you know essential travel and critical infrastructure workers um, starting today or at midnight last night. Um, but we extended the shelter in place, um, the mandatory shelter in place for elderly Georgians and those with chronic underlying health conditions. As we know, the data tells us that those folks are most vulnerable to severe repercussions from the virus until June 12th. 
Now, what the governor has said is, look, if you can continue to shelter in place, um, if your work allows you to continue to telework, um, please continue to do that. Um, stay at home whenever possible. But we did take that mandate um, off of most Georgians um, in order to shelter in place. Uh, uh, Jim, Patricia, um, one of you want to jump in? Yeah, if, if I could, if, if I could, Bill. Uh, uh, Cody, uh, we, we still, at, at least so far as what we know of, of, of the numbers that are coming in on the, on the, the public health w- website page, there is, there's still a, a, a great racial disparity in, 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 in the victims of, of, of COVID-19. African-Americans are far disproportionate, uh, disproportionately likely to be victims. And, and we've, you know, you've, you've, I'm sure you've heard over the last week, you know, uh, uh, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and other Georgia mayors uh, cite a kind of a lack of, lack of, of communication coordination uh, between the state capital and themselves. Has any, is there any attempt being made to correct that? Look, um, the governor and the mayor and, and our staffs work closely together on a wide variety of issues, including the coronavirus, um, and, and we'll continue to do that. Um, I think we've announced a number of new testing sites in the South Fulton area over the last couple of weeks. The Guard um, is working with Fulton County to um, expand testing operations in the county. Um, local boards of public health in Fulton, DeKalb, Rockdale, Clayton um, are, are working closely together um, with our team at, at State DPH and the Georgia Guard to expand testing operations there. Um, but look, you know, we we have over 100 members of our coronavirus task force. Um, the data changes by the hour. Um, and as we move forward, we're trying to make the best decisions possible based on the data that we have, um, but also respond in a timely manner to this virus. But but have, have the have, has the governor and, and Mayor Bottoms talked in the yes. last week? Uh, they spoke. I know two days ago. I think they may have spoke yesterday. If not them, um, our chief of staff did speak. Um, I want to get Patricia in, but before I do, as long as we're talking about Mayor Bottoms, uh, she uh, was all over MSNBC. Uh, last night and uh, talked about her feelings about the lifting of the restrictions. Let's listen to just one of the things she said. This could be catastrophic. We have about 50% of the deaths in our state um, attributable to African-Americans, yet we only make up 30% of the population. And I am extremely concerned that we are continuing to dig in as we head in the wrong, in the wrong direction. Patricia? Cody, it's Patricia. When the governor announced that there would be this shelter-in-place order at the beginning of April, he said that the information from the CDC that asymptomatic carriers could spread this was a game-changing piece of information for him. And I've never heard him go back to that in these conversations about reopening the state. has anything changed with that information or has, has his understanding of it changed or is he not as worried about that? I hear people tell me, well, go out if you feel safe, but don't go out if you don't feel safe. But that doesn't really account for that asymptomatic carrier who could be spreading it without knowing it. And I think that's a safety element that is not that we haven't heard addressed a lot. Sure. So a couple of quick things. Um, multiple press releases from our offices and, and multiple interviews that During the month of March, the governor talked about the risk of asymptomatic transmission, especially in nursing homes. That's why we issued guidance with the Georgia Healthcare Association to those facilities to ensure that they knew the risk of asymptomatic transmission so that um, they were taking all steps possible to make sure that those vulnerable residents were kept safe. Um, Obviously, what the governor was referring to in that press conference, and he said since, was the fact that the CDC updated their guidelines that showed a greater transmission rate among asymptomatic individuals, and that is what Dr. Toomey, um, a 40-year epidemiologist, called a game changer in terms of how she was recommending to the governor to um, respond to this virus. So obviously going forward, um, that's one of the reasons why the governor has continued to urge folks, if you're able to, please stay home. When you're out in public at the grocery store, wear a mask, maintain social distancing, because we do recognize that asymptomatic transmission is a real threat, um, especially to those vulnerable Georgians who we have continued to mandate 
um, to continue to, to shelter in place, and especially for those in our long-term care facilities. Greg mentioned that 43% of the deaths in the state um, are attributable to those long-term care facilities. Um, so that's that's one of our main focuses going forward is how we protect those vulnerable populations. You know, everybody, it strikes me, and we'll, Cody can respond to this, but everybody else is more than welcome to weigh in. Um, the, the, you know, Cody has said at the very beginning of the show, and he's certainly right, uh, there's still so much we don't know about this virus, and we're behaving perhaps increasingly as if we all, uh, whether those of us who are, you know, think we should be more cautious and others who think we need to uh, relax uh, restrictions, who, no, we're all shooting in the dark to some extent. So here, here's the reason I mentioned that. Uh, Cody's on a couple of occasions said, uh, you know, the older and more medically fragile Georgians need to be particularly careful because of the disease's impact on them, except that CDC issued what I thought was a really uh, startling report the other day in which they said their data shows that it's healthy young Georgians with no pre-existing health conditions who are increasingly falling ill to COVID-19 <coughs> with severe complications, even more so than the elderly and the immunocompromised. Uh, so if you're starting to see that 60% of the cases were under the age of 65, uh, all it says to me, panel, is that we know very little about how this uh, virus behaves, and, uh, and we're in trouble if we think we know. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and Cody, and maybe this is a way of of getting at what 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 where Bill's driving. How over over the next two, three, four weeks, how will the governor, and 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 you, along with you and his and his aides, how how will you evaluate whether this has been been a success, and at what point? Uh, might you have to shift directions? I mean, have, have you have you have you kind of charted out any kind of any kind of ceiling that you're you're unwilling to take you're un, unwilling to see happen in terms of infections or fatalities? Sure. So I'll kind of go through what the data that we looked at to arrive at this position, and then I'll go through really at that same data that we're going to look at going forward. Number one is the gating criteria that the White House put out in order to to enter phase one. Things like how many emergency room visits are you seeing from folks who have influenza-like illnesses? Um, what's the percent positive of the tests you're taking out of the total number of tests that are reported to the state? Um, are you able to um, treat patients um, without crisis care? Um, do you have a robust testing program for, for frontline workers? We've um, met all that gating criteria, which allowed us to move into phase one. The governor has said that among that, he's also looking at what does our hospitalization rate look like? We actually, the governor just got off a phone call with Metro Atlanta Hospital CEOs this morning. It was about a 45-minute phone call, checking in with them, seeing what their um, rate of COVID-19 positive patients and patients under investigation um, looked like, um, how their PPE supplies were looking. All those were were positive signs from those CEOs, and we had had multiple conversations before taking this step with those CEOs to ensure that they felt comfortable um, moving back into elective surgeries, those kind of things. So it's the hospitalization on one part. Um, we had the lowest number of ventilators in use um, since late March. Um, that was yesterday. Um, we continue to see our ICU capacity go up. Um, so those are among those different things, but then also you'll see um, folks continually refer to a 14-day a, a rolling average in the number of cases, the, the number of deaths. Both of those categories are moving in our direction. Um, and if they continue to do that, um, then looking at the data, listening to Dr. Toomey, um, we'll continue to see if, if further steps are needed or if we're moving towards a phase two. Greg, you want to jump in? We haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, I know. I mean, th th this sort of illustrates the exact problem that that, um, that that the governor's office in Georgia is really facing, and the residents who are trying to make sense of of all these um, directives that are coming. And look, when, when the governor um, made his announcement yesterday, he he did lay out the the um, option of coming back later on and, and enforcing new restrictions um, if there is a second outbreak, as many public health experts feel fear. Um, but if that happens, you're, you're going to have to uh, sort of re-educate a lot of Georgians. He's pretty confident that Georgians 
understand the risks, understand the, the, the guidelines um, for social distancing and all, and all those others. But um, again, we're already kind of seeing that thaw and uh, these next few weeks are going to be really key to see. Um, we're, we're not going to know um, how the governor's order is working, uh, how effective it is really for, for a month or so um, if, we, if we see a rebound or if we see uh, a continuing decline or a, a decline in general in cases. You know, Patricia, it seems to me Greg makes a really good point. A lot of this does rely on uh, the governor suggesting we understand the rules for social distancing. We're already nervous enough that we are not going to suddenly uh, start having p- street parties uh, in our neighborhood. Uh, we're not going to suddenly rush the grocery store and, and crowd together in supermarkets, although I've seen some of that already, even while the restrictions were in place. So, Patricia, I mean, in some ways, the governor really is counting on each of us to maintain uh, our own rules for how we avoid spreading the virus. Is, is, what's your response to that? Well, I think that's true. I mean, I think, you know, in a state of 8 million people, he can't call every eight, every person and say, here's what you need to be doing. And there is a level of personal responsibility people have to follow um, in terms of keeping themselves and their families safe. And the governor has to rely on people to do that. My concern is that as I've been out um, in the state and when businesses are starting to reopen, there does appear to be a level of a wide swath of interpretation about what is safe and what's okay. And for a public health crisis and a pandemic, um, it really is going to come down to enforcement. And I'll give you an example. On Friday when nail salons opened up, I went just as a test to go to see what a number of salons in Atlanta were doing. Most of them had stayed closed. Um, The ones that were open were social distancing, doing by appointment only, as the governor requested. Um, But outside of Metro Atlanta, there was a nail salon. Um, There were probably 30 people in there, um, shoulder to shoulder, women waiting in line, women under the dryers, reading the same magazine. They were so close to each other. And so, Cody, um, in terms of enforcement, what what is the enforcement piece of this for businesses? And if workers don't feel safe but know they need their jobs, what should workers do? Is there a way for them to reach out and request help or report something? Sure. So a couple of things. Number one, our executive order deputized local and state law enforcement, all local and state law enforcement, to be able to enforce the executive order. So that means your local police, your sheriffs, um, GSP, troopers, um, all the above would be able to enforce this kind of with a a three strikes and you could get your business closed. Um, So I'd encourage anyone that is seeing folks that are not abiding by the executive order to contact their local law enforcement or their state law enforcement to ensure that people are abiding by the the guidelines. and in terms of workers that are displaced, you know, I think Commissioner Mark Butler at the Georgia Department of Labor, they've been doing an, an incredible job. Um, you know, they want to make sure that um, if if you're a worker and you don't feel safe going back, um, that you are able to document all of that to the Department of Labor in order to still receive unemployment benefits. Um, they've outlined that um, on their website as well. Uh, Cody, do do we have any? Do you have any record of any business being formally admonished or even shut down yet? So the governor actually gave an example to Greg in his interview yesterday that um, there was a a restaurant out in Lagrange that was not following the guidelines. Um, law enforcement got in touch with the owner. The owner said that manager was fired um, and that it would no longer occur at his restaurant. Um, so that's just one anecdotal thing. But I do want to real quick. Um, Yesterday, we had a record number of tests, over 20,000 reported to the state website. That's almost a double or close to doubling the previous record we had set on Tuesday. So these are good signs as we move forward. But then again, I would – the same point I made last time I was on the show, Bill, about um, state revenues and how we move forward from here, that that states across the country are going to have to start making incredibly tough choices, worse than 2008, 2009, in terms of – how do we go forward with a state budget process and, and, and how that looks coming out? And that's every state across the country. That's not just Georgia. And we have a little bit of news on that oh. this morning as we were speaking. Um, James Salzer, our colleague, said that state agencies were told today they should plan on cutting nearly $3.6 billion from their budgets this year, which is a huge chunk of the state's $28 billion or so dollar budget. 
Yeah, to add to that, Greg, uh, Darshan Kendrick, uh, Representative Darshan Kendrick, sent out a tweet about this, and uh, uh, Tom Faust uh, contacted her directly and asked if he could definitely, uh, quote, if she could confirm what she's saying. She says, uh, Cody, that uh, that agency heads got letters saying to expect budget cut to cut their budgets 14% for FY 2021. Can you confirm that that letter went out, and that's what agencies are being asked to do? I'd want to make sure that that was from OPB and not from um, one of the appropriations committees at the state legislature. But I think, look, it is not going to be a fun process. It, it, you know, I, I think that was one of the main keys missing from all of this. That, um, the governor and, and state government were attacked for the, the steps we were taking. But, look, what happens when you have to cut a budget? into the double digits. You know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember back earlier this year when we were lambasted for taking measured steps to cut four and six percent out of the amended budget and the full budget. So when you take that um, and, and and multiply it a couple times, the, what's that going to look like? And I think that, that that some of the Democratic state lawmakers who have taken such liberties to to attack our approach, um, they're going to now have to be in a position of looking at our budget, actually looking at the numbers, not at rhetoric, and how do we move forward and still maintain essential services to the state. So I look forward to their feedback in that process because I think it's going to be much different for them than than um, how they've had to or been able to proceed over the last couple of months. Um, Cody, we're going to let you go in a second, but I, I dropped something uh, earlier, and I want to just circle back to it because there was a question that Jim Galloway asked uh, about your uh, your boss, the governor, and and those of you who are in the executive branch, uh, in, in the in the administrative branch over there, are dealing with talking to local authorities. Jim asked you if uh, the governor had talked to Mayor Bottoms recently. You said you thought that he had in the last day or two. She last night on MSNBC was once again pretty tough in talking about uh, what this means, his lifting these restrictions. Um, if he's talking to her and she's making these strong points, uh, is, she, is she getting th- – there's no way you can quantify this, but where are those conversations leading? What's the point of them? Well, look, I think um, in almost every interview that I've watched with Mayor Bottoms, she has reiterated that the governor and her have a very good working relationship, and they do. Um, and they'll continue to do that, not only on COVID-19, but other issues going forward. Look, I think anyone that has ever talked to the governor, um, especially Mayor Bottoms, would attest to the fact that he, he hears them. He, he listens to their, their advice, just like he's listening to the advice of Dr. Toomey and others throughout this process. And, you know, one of the aspects of this virus is that everyone, um, you know, the buck stops with the guy that they elected governor. Um, and, and I think that the governor is making these choices based on the data and the best advice that he has available to him at the time. But look, these are not easy choices. These are not easy times. Um, and, and I think the governor readily accepts the fact that, that sometimes he's not going to be popular. Um, but that's why a record number of people elected him to be the state's chief executive. All right, Cody Hall, we appreciate your spending some time with us uh, today. We're going to let you get back to uh, work in your office. Um, but we appreciate your being here, and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, as soon as we can. So take care, Cody. Why, while Cody leaves us, why don't we take a break, and we'll come back with a lot more on Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Uh, Greg Bluestein, let's follow up on the breaking news that uh, we were able to say a little bit about with Cody uh, Hall uh, on the show, and that is the request, or not the request, the uh, state agencies being told to, they're going to have to make significant budget cuts. Uh, Greg, James Salzer, your colleague, is reporting that story, and I think I'm correct, and you can uh, um, make this clearer, that 
no agencies are excluded from this one. This is going to include education. It's going to include uh, uh, all of the previously exempt uh, mm-hmm. agencies, uh, which did not take budget cuts, right? Yep, law enforcement. Um, and, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, the K-12 system, the higher education system, 14%, no exceptions. This letter came from um, Governor Kemp's budget office as well as legislative leaders, um, and it's certainly a move that could bring furloughs and layoffs um, to state employees, to teachers, um, elsewhere. Uh, hiring freezes, all that. Uh, it's, it's something that's just been expected for a long time. We just didn't know exactly the scope of the cuts. Um, as state collections are looking to be down at least $2 billion by the end of the current fiscal year. And, of course, that could get worse. Yeah, one thing one thing I'm interested in 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 waiting and watching for is is you know uh, 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 Mr. Hall mentioned the uh, four to six percent cuts that 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 Kemp had asked for uh, late last year. Uh, a lot of those cuts uh, were to, to to public health departments, which I would I would posit that that, that that's one area of of the state budget that probably won't get hit as hard. That's going to be interesting to watch uh, uh, play out in the weeks ahead. We do think, am I right, uh, Patricia, we think the legislature is looking at coming back. I know that we now have been told that uh, David Ralston is telling his committee chairs that they can begin uh, committee meetings again as soon as, I think, the second week or so of May, and then perhaps the legislature will come back into session like right after the primary, somewhere around June 11th. Is that what they're looking at right now? That's what they're looking at. Um, it looks like they're going to be sort of several phases to this. Uh, the first phase would be online uh, virtual committee hearings. Uh, we assume many of those would probably be budget hearings. Um, then they would, uh, some of them would come back to Atlanta for in-person committee hearings. Um, again, those are numbers that you can keep relatively small. You can continue to social distance. And then um, the speaker had said he would like to come back in June. He doesn't want to come back before June because there are a number of budget numbers still outstanding in May. Mm -hmm. And he said he'd like to get those numbers in before having the entire legislature come back. Um, And, of course, all of this would be subject to um, the health and safety of people. I think Ralston has been quite vocal and really leaning forward on that piece of it. Um, uh, So it'll just sort of depend how everything breaks, although they, of course, have that uh, budget deadline July 1st. The budget has to get passed uh, you know, come hell or high water before that date. So, I mean, it, we've said this on the show on numerous occasions now, uh, that no one doubts that that governors across the country uh, have tough decisions to make, Governor Kemp included. I mean, the economies are collapsing everywhere. Uh, but Carlos Del Rio today, in a, in a tweet responding to the shelter-in-place order, Jim Galloway, said, uh, yeah, reop- you, you want to get the economy reopened, Governor Kemp, but you got to have healthy workers to be part of it. It is really, when you think about what, what uh, Salzer is now reporting about the extent of the budget cuts and you realize the damage that our economy is taking, you do understand the dilemma, but a, a resurgence of COVID-19 isn't going to make it better when, if the state starts opening up and the virus spreads. No, no, and and as Greg said earlier, we're going to find out what, whether this works or not. Probably within three to four weeks, uh, one presumes that Ralston is going to get his way, and and the legislature will hold off until June eleventh uh, after after the the, the June nine primary. Uh, but but you know it, it's it's look, it, this balance is is probably not going to be struck at the, the at first in 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 government. It's going to be struck at first uh, at the retail level, I think. And and and, and Patricia was ta- alluded to this a little bit earlier. But you've got you've got restaurants, for instance, in Atlanta right now, wondering, okay, if they have to observe the guidelines and if they have to if they have to space their tables uh, apart, if they have to, which means they're going to be only be being able to serve half as many customers as they usually can at maximum and may not even f- uh, fill up those 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 tables then you know do they do they even open uh, I will tell you there's another one another balance coming up right now of course is all right we've heard that uh, that the governor has ordered 3.6 billion dollars in planned budget cuts because of the pandemic response okay so what does that do to the 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 film TV tax credit 
that's been been so so productive here and and produce so many jobs at a time when theaters themselves are under tremendous pressure and they might uh, a lot of these theater chains may not be able to handle uh going again going to half half the uh, the, the, the 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 custom that they're used to Galloway, I sense a column coming on from you on that one. That's really an interesting <laughs> perspective. Greg, Greg Bluestein, uh, we talk about the economic damage the virus is doing to the state of Georgia. Uh, you filed a story uh, which talks about the political damage it's doing to, uh, to Republicans who are uh, in, in charge of you know, the governor's office, the House, and the Senate. Uh, an internal poll. Uh, of uh, Republicans uh, that, that Republicans are looking at really paints a bleak picture of how voters feel about them right now. Can you give us a little information from uh, the poll that you've looked at. Yeah, we usually look at when we look at these internal polls, um, you know, we, we take them with a grain of salt, especially if they're coming from, you know, rival camps. And this way, this one in some form does because it's from the House Republican Caucus and it involves Governor Kemp, who's not exactly besties with, with I mean, well, Speaker Ralston is not exactly best friends with Governor Kemp right now. But it's still, it's, an, it's the definition of an internal poll. This is done by the House Republican Caucus, and it sheds some bad news for Republicans in general. Um, it shows, first of all, that Trump is in a head-to-head tight race, um, basically a statistical tie with Joe Biden. Um, which is not good news for Republicans right now after uh, as they're trying to keep the state in, in Republican hands um, uh, for, uh, in every election since 1992. Uh, but also it shows that, that in general, the, the mood is pessimistic um, about uh, a chance to return to normalcy after the, amid the pandemic. And it shows that, um, that voters don't give um, either Trump or Governor Kemp or even the, even the legislature um, high marks for how they're responding to the pandemic. Um, so it points to some troubles ahead. And also, um, one more thing to add, it shows that um, Kelly Leffler, the, the newly appointed U.S. senator, um, is in, you know, basically uh, tied in low double digits. She's around 11 percent with Reverend Rafael Warnock and um, Matt Lieberman. And it shows that, um, that Doug Collins is, is leading the field by about 20 points. Patricia, jump in. I think the Leffler numbers are really interesting. Uh, oh, my you know, gosh. I'll, go ahead. I mean, Kelly Leffler is at 12% right now. Um, I, I just don't even know what to do with that information. For a sitting U.S. senator, um, it certainly points to the fact Doug Collins, it, it's so interesting to me. He seems to have both the benefits of being an insider in terms of he has the name ID he has uh, the experience. He has the exposure, um, the benefits of being an, an insider, but also an outsider. So he is not being tied to President Trump in the way that Leffler is because she's been so outspoken in her support of the president. Um, and Kemp has been so out, outspoken in his support of the president. And when they've tied themselves so closely to the job that Donald Trump is doing, when the president's numbers go down, they're going to go down right along with them. Um, it certainly, Leffler has a very, very high steep hill ahead of her. Um, but those other numbers, you know, when I worked in the Senate, we always believed, and the mantra is, the best politics, good politics is doing a good job. And I think that uh, people's confidence needs to be restored in our leaders in terms of the way they're communicating about this virus, in terms of how they're restoring people's confidence not just in the economy, but in the in the society. Is it safe to go out? Are you are they doing everything they can to balance both people's health and the economy? Um, if there's any criticism I would offer of the governor, he's been very empathetic toward the very difficult uh, situation with business owners. Um, uh, in, in terms of his communications, you don't hear that as much on the public health piece of it. I think he's been um, good on that side, but you you feel his heart is with the business owners right now. He's very worried about them and worried about the state economy. Um, people's concerns are with their families and their families' health, um, and they need to know their leaders feel that as well. Yeah, um, look, Bill. It's uh, first of all, I want to I want to I want to point to how unusual uh, this this the this 
the situation is and and uh, uh, give uh, Bluestein some credit here because you've got you've you don't get this kind of real time feedback very often when when you when you when you're dealing with a crisis and 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 clearly that's what we have this poll was finished on monday the day that uh, movie theaters and restaurants were allowed to open of course you know uh, 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 kemp issued his his uh, lifting on on thursday and the most important the absolute most important figure in that poll is and and because it's the broadest it's the right track wrong track you know how many think uh, how, how many how many voters think we're on the right track how many uh, think we're on the uh, the wrong track uh in in november uh, the same poll showed uh, uh, an 18% more voters thought we were on the right right track it was it was it was they were good numbers for republicans that number has cratered down to 5% it's it's a really it's a, it's a really steep decline in optimism um just to uh, uh dig a little deeper into the uh polling for the house caucus uh while voters are evenly split, according to the poll, on Trump's performance, uh, Kemp is underwater. 52% disapprove. Uh, his approval rating is only 43%. Kelly Leffler's approval rating is 20%, with a disapproval of 47%. Collins isn't doing great, Doug Collins, uh, but it, it's nevertheless higher than his disapproval, which is pretty good in these uh, circumstances. So um, yeah, if 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 I, I, if I think I all of any, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no. If look, if you are a state statewide Republican office holder and you're running behind Donald Trump in Georgia, that's trouble. That's trouble for you. Yeah, Be, because because yeah. Um, generally the trend has been in, even in in 2018, uh, statewide victor, victories for Republicans uh, showed you running maybe three percent higher than Donald Trump did in 2016. And also another finding uh, Greg, is interesting. I was about to say this. Yeah. It also echoes a UGA poll that we saw um, uh, earlier this week, where it says that a majority of voters, in this in this case, sixty percent, about said Georgia is moving too quickly to ease these restrictions. So it shows um, an undercurrent of discontent about um, the governor's approach right now, at least uh, to to easing these pan, pandemic restrictions. I'll tell you what, let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back. We will talk more about uh, uh, how the coronavirus is affecting the campaigns from 2020. But before we do that, we should point out that the polls we've just talked about, uh, the, the pollsters were in the field getting answers to these questions before Governor Kemp yesterday afternoon lifted the shelter-in-place restrictions. So it'd be really something to see what those numbers are going to look like the next time people go out in the field, uh, it, 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 I assume uh, the trend is going to uh, get a little bit worse for Republicans. But we'll just wait for pollsters to tell us about all that. Let's do this. We'll take our break and come back with more on Political Rewind. We're here on Political Rewind with Greg Bluestein, Jim Galloway, Patricia Murphy, uh, talking about politics and the virus at this point. Uh, a quick program note, uh, those of you who heard us say that today we were going to uh, do our show with Brad Raffensberger, the Secretary of State, given the governor's decision yesterday afternoon to lift the shelter-in-place restrictions, we thought that was a consequential enough uh, uh, factor in terms of how what the state's going to look like in the days ahead that we should move that show. It's already been recorded, and we will now air it on Monday's Political Rewind. So join us uh, for for that show. Um, so uh, we are seeing the handling of the virus play into partisan politics in a pretty big way now. Uh, Jim Galloway, I think uh, you were the one who pointed out that it's really become an issue in the Democratic race against David Perdue, that uh, Amico, uh, Teresa Tomlinson, and John Ossoff are all starting to uh, use it against the way the Republicans, uh, like David Perdue, have been handling the job. How, how I, I would assume it's going to play a big role all the way through the primary, obviously. Yeah, I, I mean, clearly we're headed toward a, a, a nationalist election in Georgia. 
uh, and and what Republican or what Democrats are doing right now is they're trying to draw the dotted line from Donald Trump in the White House to Governor Kemp in the state capitol, uh, back to to David Perdue or 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 uh, uh, in in the case of uh, Senate Race Number Two, Kelly Loeffler. So uh, yeah, this is this is becoming a the, this is becoming a package deal here. Um. I, I, Patricia, let me add a layer to this, which I think is kind of interesting. Jim talks about it becoming a national election. The New York Times wrote a, had a really interesting piece today. They got a hold of a leaked memo from the NRSC, which uh, advised Republican candidates in the election this year on how to deal with coronavirus issues. And one of the recommendations in it was... Don't be too outspoken in your defense of President Trump. This is coming from the Republican Senate Campaign Committee. When the White House heard about this, they were furious, and NRSC had to back away in a minute. But, but that emphasizes Galloway's point that everybody's going to be kind of stuck uh, running on how Trump handles all this, and for that matter, how Kemp does here in Georgia. I think that's right. And certainly the NRSC would not have sent that memo out had the president's numbers been going up. But his numbers have been steadily declining as he's insisted on, I don't want to say insisted, as he has been more and more outspoken and having his two-hour press conferences um, at the end of every day. That onslaught of information blocks out the sun for anything else that's happening. It makes it so difficult for candidates um, when the president is making all of the news, much of the news is negative, and it's totally unforced errors on the president's part. So his numbers have been going down, and any good campaign would say, do not tie yourself to a sinking ship. Not the president is sinking, but he certainly is going down, and they, these, these leaders can't afford to have their numbers go down with him. And it, when you look into that poll that we were talking about earlier, Georgian's top priority is controlling the spread of the coronavirus and returning mm -hmm. life to normal. That's the only issue in people's lives right now. Uh, the second issue is getting the economy back on track. This is going to be sort of a double-barreled situation um, for voters, and it's going to be, I think, the only way they, evo they evaluate um, people on the ballot this year. And that's why it's so important for leaders to get this right. Greg, you spend a lot of time talking to uh, uh, legislative leaders, um, and, and sometimes they uh, don't want to talk on the record uh, about their feelings. But how nervous are they down there? What, what's the sense among Republicans who control the House and Senate about what's happening and how it might impact their futures? Well, they're, they're, they're very nervous. Uh, I think that's safe to say. I mean, I mean this, is, this is unprecedented territory. There's no, there's no good way to... You know, figure you can't really look back to 1918 or 1917 in an effective way to figure out how to how to deal with this. Although we are we are echoing some of those strategies, but really what you're seeing too is the blame game. And and I think I think one of those one of the other parts of the NRSC guidance to, to candidates was to do just that, which was to shift focus to to China. And we're seeing that play out in these congressional races in a major way already. Renee Underman, the seventh district. Um, candidates in the 9th and 14th district are running radio ads and, and other things so saying this is all in Canada. Uh, uh, China. Blame Canada. Blame China. Okay, okay, now, now, now you take that, Bill, and you layer on, on, on upon that the fact that we passed the 1 million voter mark in absentee ballot requests on Thursday. And we're probably going to go. It's probably going to go up higher. We will. Uh, we already have more ballot requests than we had votes in 2016. And and the thing is, when you have when you have new voting habits, and and we've never seen this before, then then the electorate the electorate becomes high, highly unpredictable because we don't know we don't know who these people are. A lot of them have never participated in a primary before. And of course we've got the situation in Fulton County where you had a, the the coronavirus strike down uh two ele uh, uh election officials. That's put them behind. I think I haven't checked the the, the stats this morning. Yesterday uh they had processed 26,000 absentee ballots, which would mean that they probably have 120 so so uh, 120,000 more to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim, as long as you've got the ball, your column, by the way, we'll post a link. We're going to post a few links. We'll post a link to your column today uh, on our social media. Patricia, we're going to post a link to the USA Today piece 
that you wrote, which uh, is funny if it weren't so darn serious. Uh, and we'll have that up there as well. But, Jim, your column takes the coronavirus as in a political way and, and zeroes it down into a very important Senate race involving Brandon Beach. You, we're running out of time, but just give us a little bit of why the virus is playing such a big role in that race. Okay, th- yeah, this is this is the only only other race where it's really playing in, in addition to the, the 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 Leffler Senate race. All right. Beach, if you'll recall, he's the one who uh, the, the, he's the senator who first tested positive for the coronavirus immediately after the special session uh, uh which gave uh, Kemp emergency emergency powers in March. He, Beach attended that session even though he had already been tested for COVID-19, just hadn't seen the results yet. And he's come under extreme criticism for that. He was on a podcast this last, this week uh, in, in which he, he wanted to – he accepted the blame. He accepted the responsibility. But he wanted to make sure everybody knew that he didn't think that he was the one who brought that virus into the Capitol. And he's pointing the finger at, at Bruce Thompson. Uh, and and it works into it works into the politics. Bruce Thompson is backing uh, Michael Caldwell, his state house member, who's running against Beach in the June nine uh, uh, primary up in uh, North Fulton, Cherokee County. So we're going to see the virus as a huge factor in uh, races moving uh, forward. Greg Bustein, where are you? Are you, I think it was you who talked about the fact that we're already seeing increased traffic out there on the streets today. Um, how are you? What are you going to be looking at? I mean, you're like I said, you're all over the place. Are are you and your colleagues going to be out there, kind of monitoring uh, yeah. how people are getting back to apparently life at normal? By the way, before I give you an answer, we should say Macy's has now announced. They announced a little while ago they're not going to open some of these Metro Atlanta stores that they said they were. They're going to take. They're not going to do it today. They may open them on Monday, but that's a little bit of a retreat. But what's your next step on this? Crime? Yeah, I mean, look, we have reporters spanning on all over all over Metro Atlanta, um, and you're you're seeing less. You know, you're still seeing activity on Metro Atlanta, but you're, there's a little more peer pressure. There's a little more um, social media pressure on some of these businesses not to not to reopen. What I'm really interested in, and I've gone out a few times to rural areas. Uh, where there is more of a, uh, an aggressive approach to reopening. I went to a state lawmaker's um, opening his restaurant Monday night. Um, I've been down in Monroe County. So so that's my plan is to um, try to be uh, a little bit further outside of the metro area to talk to, to, to folks um, who, are, who are taking that stance. All right. That's it. Greg Bluestein gets the last word on today's show. Our GPB reporters will be out, of course, watching how – Activity picks up in the streets uh, across the state as well. Uh, Patricia Murphy, thank you so much. You can go back to homeschooling your children now. Uh, Same with you, Greg Bluestein. (laughs) Jim Galloway, I don't know if we're lucky or unlucky at this point that we both have grown grown kids and don't have to deal with it. But uh, thank you all for being here today. Tom Faust, you too. Take care of your children this weekend. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll see you back here on Monday for another Political Rewind.